0: First John chapter four. First John chapter four, verse twenty three. Now this is his command that we believe in the name of the Son of His Son Jesus Christ and love one another as He commanded us. You may be seated. We are going through the God well, not the gospel, the letter of First John. And last week, this week and next week is actually one big sermon. But well, we got three different sermon titles going. We got three different passages. Last week we asked the question, am I really loved? Today we're asking a question, do I still love them? And next week we show our love with action and truth. And we're going to be looking. First John chapter three, we're going to hit verse 19 through 24 today. And then next week we'll hit the first half of first John three. John talks a whole lot about love, abiding in love. He talks about light. He talks about darkness. He talks about hate. He talks about love. He talks about abiding in Jesus. And I loved what Winston said two weeks ago. He says, Paul, in a lot of his letters, he's like a lawyer. And he's got bullet point A, B, C, sub point one, two, three. John is a painter. And I feel like he's got this big canvas and he's just slinging paint all up there. But it's not random. It's amazing. But to me, it feels random because the way John writes, you're over here in light, then you're over here in darkness then you're over here in love and then you're over here in hate. And he talks a whole lot about abiding and it can get really confusing. And at times, if you just take one verse out of context, you can get really lost. But right here in verse 23, and I read it earlier. Now, this is his command that we believe in his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Last week, we talked a whole lot about love. And the question last week was, am I really loved? And the answer is, the answer, it is a resounding yes. You are deeply and eternally loved. First Corinthians chapter 13 describes and defines what love is. Jesus embodies love. I don't know if you wasted five hours on YouTube this past week. I encourage you to do it. Look up on YouTube videos, define love. And I told you that I did that. I spent too much time watching videos and I counted it up. 42 different interviews of people who could not define the word love. They couldn't do it. And yet there's over a hundred million songs written about love. Love is a concept we talk all about. And unfortunately, way too many of us consider love to be a feeling. We're looking for love in all the wrong places. We've fallen out of love. I want to know what love is. And I'm starting some really bad pastor jokes on all these songs. This is what true love is. This is what God's love is. It's called agape or agape if you say it in Spanish. The love of God, which is agape love. It's a complete, total, 100% commitment for the well-being of another. It starts in the very heart of God. God is one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and for all eternity These three persons and one God have been loving each other forever. Out of that love, they created the entire, God created the entire universe. And they're sharing, God is sharing his love to us and his love flows. It's, remember, it's a 100% commitment for the well-being of another. 1 Corinthians 13 describes it. And it's not a feeling, though emotions are part of love. It is a choice. It is an act of the will, and it's revealed through action. Love. Before we dive into this passage, i got a fun little story to share with you. It's a doctor-hospital story, and it happened just two weeks ago. On our second to last day on our mission journey, we all had to get COVID tests in order to get back on the plane, all 10 of us. And it took most of us at least an hour because the connection on internet was not real good. Mine took almost three hours to finally get done. And at the end of my COVID test, it came back invalid. So guess what I had to do? Go get another test. But we were out of COVID test. So we called some friends. The COVID test, it's open at the airport. So we drove 30 minutes out to the airport. The office there was closed. And there's a guy, it was West and Tamara's, um, West of this, what's that called? Host home. So here this guy is in his pickup truck and Wes and I are driving around with him. He's like, don't you worry me, Diego. Me, Diego is a dear of interment. I'm called Diego in Spanish. I've got a friend who's a doctor. We're going to call his hospital and we'll get there. So we drive 30 minutes back into town and we're talking, we're having a really good time. And actually Wes and I are able to share with Gustavo some amazing testimonies about healing prayer and freedom prayer. I'm not going to tell you Gustavo's story, but he's in deep trauma right now because of some serious stuff that happened to him about a month ago. And we're talking and we're sharing. So we get to this hospital. And because my dad was a doctor, I'm not afraid of hospitals. Now, I don't believe in medicine. I'm just teasing. But Christy does have a hard time getting me to take aspirin. But because of my dad being a doctor, I feel very comfortable in clinics and at hospitals. Actually, I feel very confident. And I've shared stories in the past. Why? Because my dad's a doctor. Walk in, just kind of used to it. And we walk in this hospital and Gustavo's saying, don't you worry, Diego. I've already called my friend. He's a doctor. This is where he works. We're going to get you tested. It's going to be done like this. Cool, it's about 7.30. Everyone else is touring the city and I'm bummed I'm in the hospital. I don't think I have COVID, I think I'm good. We fill out all, these, all this paperwork. Within 10 minutes, I'm called in. 20 seconds later, after they jammed this needle way up into my nose and they scratched my brain and they brought it back out and they gave, I gave them my email and 30 minutes later, it came back negative. I share this story because of the confidence I had going into this hospital knowing that I'd be attended wasn't because of anything I had done. I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve Gustavo's help. I didn't deserve him driving me out to the airport, driving me back. I didn't deserve the fact that he called one of his best friends who's a doctor. I didn't deserve the fact that he took us to his best friend's hospital. We got to the front of line. We waited maybe 20 minutes, Wes, not real long. It literally was in the office. They jammed it up in, pulled it out, signed some papers, paid, came out, done. Easy peasy. Now it took several hours for that whole process. But there was this amazing confidence inside of me. It's going to work out. But I didn't earn it. Definitely didn't deserve it. What was going on? Gustavo, our dear friend, was leading the way. If it wasn't for him, I don't know what we would have done. But God, in his perfect timing, put the right person in there to lead us to the hospital, to his friend, to get the COVID test done. And just like my new friend, Gustavo, opening these doors, Jesus has opened a way for us to live in confidence so that we can love him. Walk in humble humility and obedience and confession to love him and to believe in Jesus and then to love our neighbor the way Jesus loves us. Right here in First John chapter 3, verse 19, if you've closed your Bibles, right here we have it again. John is talking, and he says right here in verse 19, and I'm going to probably talk a little bit in circles the way John is writing his letter because I'm following John, okay? But bear with me because there's a couple of really important points here that we need to touch, and we'll touch on it some next week too. Remember, it's three Sundays, one sermon, all right? John verse nine, John chapter three, verse 19. Look at what John says here. He says, this is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him, Okay. John is saying, and he says this a lot in First John, this is how we will know. There's assurance. A couple weeks ago, how do I know that I'm saved? And John wrote, I'm writing these things to you so that you will know that you're saved, so that you will know that you are forgiven. Because our salvation is not based off of our feelings. Our salvation is based on God and who he is and his character and his word. And this is his word, God's word written to us, his people so that we would know. And John right here, he's saying, this is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him. Okay, what? What is that reassurance? John's getting ready to explain it really quickly. He says this in verse 20, "'Whenever our, whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things.'" I'm going to read it again, but without even looking at the verses, because the verses were added in later. This was a letter. I'm going to read it again, but I'm going to read both verses. Watch this. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. How many of you, your hearts have condemned you in the past? You don't have to raise your hand. Oops, some people already started. That's good. I have. How many of you, when you've sinned, you felt dirty? I I do. I sin and I'm feeling dirty inside. Sometimes even after confessing the sin, I still feel, ugh. That is what John is talking about. We will do things. We will live in a way. We will sin. We will disobey the Lord. We will be deceptive. We will lie. We will cheat. We'll become angry. We will break God's commandments. And inside our conscience is going, "Mm, you did it again. You see, you did it again. And a lot of times, Satan, even ourselves, will throw this guilt upon ourselves. And it'll pile up. But look at what John's saying. He says, this is how we will know we're from the truth. Because whenever our hearts condemn us, what? Look at what John says. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows all things. John continues, dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God, and we receive whatever we ask from Him because we keep His commands and we do what is pleasing to Him. In the very beginning of this letter in First John, and I don't have the verse on, on the screen, but it's First John 1, verse 9, where John says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our." forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, one of the big questions that many of us will ask is, am I really forgiven? And a lot of us can struggle with guilt, with even false guilt. Am I really forgiven? And John addresses that in chapter one, but then he hits it here again, because he's like, look, this is how we know we're of the truth, is when our hearts condemn us, When our own heart brings conviction, you know, it's really not our heart, but it's Holy Spirit living in us. Because then John encourages, he's like, look, God is greater than our hearts and God knows all things. God actually knows us better than we know ourselves. And we also have to be very careful that we don't follow our heart In our small group on Thursday night at our house, we were talking about what's the best advice you've ever given or received and what's the worst advice you've ever received. And there was a person in our life group that said some of the worst advice ever got was follow your own heart. And she went on to explain it. Why did she say that? When Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, and this verse will be on the screen. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, Jeremiah says this, the heart is more deceitful than anything else. Than how much? Anything else. An incurable, and it's incurable. Who can understand it? You see, because we're born as sinners, dead in our sin, dead in our transgressions, we can deceive ourselves and our heart can condemn us when we no longer need to be condemned. Our own heart can also deceive us, especially if we're not abiding in the light and truth of Jesus. We desperately need Jesus and we need his light and we need his truth, which is scripture to guide and lead the way. And if we follow our own hearts, we can become very quickly deceived. And what John is saying here, and I know I'm kind of meandering possibly, But what John is saying here, he goes, this is how we know we're from the truth. Because when our own hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. And God knows all things. And if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before him. Now, here's the truth and here's the reality. Apart from Jesus, we stand condemned. But Paul says in Romans chapter eight, verse one, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For everyone who is in Jesus has been born again, is a new creation, and has been completely and totally forgiven. And as sons and daughters of our heavenly father through faith in Christ, we are no longer condemned. Yet our own selves or the evil one will continually condemn us. You see, you did it again. You sinned again. You sinned again. And yet John wants us to know here that in Christ Jesus, and remembering what he says in 1 John, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and God is just, and he will forgive us of all sin, and he will cleanse us from all wickedness. And that is the posture we should have always before him is that when we do sin and when Holy Spirit brings conviction, we should walk in confession and humility, confessing our sins to our heavenly father. And when we do so, we are cleansed because our father, when he sees us, he sees Jesus shining in and through us and we're clothed with his righteousness. And that's the confidence we have. The same way that I confidently walked into that hospital in Mexico, knowing that I would be attended to, it wasn't because of me, it was because of my new friend Gustavo. In the same way, because of Jesus, we can boldly enter God's presence, knowing that He will embrace us, not because of who we are, but because of Jesus. John continues in verse 22. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. We keep his commands and do what's pleasing in his sight. Well, what are those commands? In the Old Testament, there are 613 of them. We talked about that in our membership class today. How many commandments are there in the Old Testament? 613. How many commandments did Jesus give us? Two. And John, who is Jesus' best friend, he says, Look, we can have confidence coming before our Heavenly Father. We can have great confidence because we keep His commands and we do His commands. And then look what John says in verse 23. Now this is his command. This is God's command. This is the one he wants us to keep. This is the command he wants us to follow. Look what he says right here. Now this is his command. And there's two parts to it. That we believe in the name of the Son of his son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another as he commanded. That simple. This is what God commands all people to believe in his son, Jesus Christ and to love one another. Verse 24, the one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. And the way we know that we remain, that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. You see, when we confess and believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, when we believe in his name, that he is God's son, and that he came and that he died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried and that he is risen, when we believe in his name, as this command says, God gives us his Holy Spirit, and his Holy Spirit lives in us. And his Holy Spirit sanctifies us and transforms us and guides and leads us. He whispers to us and he brings conviction so that when we do sin, he reveals it to us. Not so that we're just you know beating our chest and being, oh God, but know that we can come to him and that we can confess it knowing that he forgives us and that he cleanses us. Because our forgiveness is not based off of our good works or how much we do for God, it's based off of his great mercy. And it starts by believing in Jesus. So God's command for us today is to believe in Jesus. And I know know most of you in here, but I don't know everyone in here. If you've not put your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you do not have forgiveness. And you do not have that confidence to approach God with boldness. And today's the day to what we call repent, turn from your sin and surrender and give your life to Jesus. He is calling you to come home to him and he will embrace you as you are. He will give you his Holy Spirit to walk with you and to encourage you and to transform you into his image. And by believing in Jesus, you become a son or daughter of our heavenly father. That is the first part of this command. The second part is this, love one another as he has commanded us. How has Jesus commanded us to love one another in John chapter 13, 34 and 35. It's a new command. Jesus, right, this is the last night. This is before the night he's betrayed. It's when he washes his disciples' feet. It's the night of the Passover. And Jesus says, I give you a new commandment love one another. Love just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. How are we to love one another? The way Jesus loves us. And then Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So going back to 1 John, John says this is his command, is to believe in Jesus and is to love one another as he has commanded us. And how are we to love one another? The way Jesus Loves us. And we talked a lot about that last week. It's that agape love. It's that total, complete, 100% commitment for the well-being of another. It's considering others more important than yourself. It's to humble ourselves and to serve others. It's to look for ways to honor, to encourage, to bless It's to pray for. It's even to forgive those who've sinned against us. It's to wash other people's feet. It starts in our home and goes to our neighbors, our workplace with our supervisors or bosses, or maybe those who work for us, to love our teachers and or our students, to love the one driving next to us who just cut us off. It's to love the way Jesus loved. It's to rejoice in truth. It's to bear all things. It's not to rejoice in unrighteousness. Sometimes love requires what's called tough love. And it's calling people on the carpet, rebuking, exhorting, speaking truth. It's Jesus' love. It's confronting those who are prideful and arrogant the way Jesus did. Remember, Jesus embodies God's love. If we want to know how to love one another, we need to look to Jesus as our example to follow. What is God's command? To believe in Jesus and to love one another the way Jesus has commanded. I'm reading a book. I have a library. It's a mobile library, also known as The Trunk of My Car. I bought this book about a year and a half ago. It's on the screen. It's called Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth by Thaddeus J. Williams. If you want a book that will really trigger you, buy this book and read it. Uh, there's parts in here I don't agree with. There's parts in here I don't like. There's other parts in here that are amazing. And I'm debating if our staff should read it. But I'm reading here in chapter six, and it'll be. It'll take a few minutes. But I'm going to close with close with this story. It's a story about Corey Tinboom. She was Dutch. She was a teenager, young adult during World War II. Her family housed Jews during the Nazi occupation of Holland, and her family got caught. Their neighbors ratted on them. And so she and her family were sent to work camps, concentration camps. Her sister died, I believe, just months before they were liberated by the Allied Army. And after Corey got out, she started her life over again. They were believers. She loved Jesus. And one of her great messages was that of forgiveness, forgiving your enemies. And one of her great obvious challenges was to forgive the Nazi army, the Nazi soldiers that ruled the camp, the prison camp that she and her sister were in, because she and her sister were in the same camp in the same bunkhouse, suffering the same thing. And throughout their time in prison camp, It was Corey's sister who basically was carrying Corey and her faith to not give in. And Corey would tell you that her sister was faithful and she was not. And yet her sister was the one who died. So, years later, she's at a church. And I'm going to read starting here on page 63 and 64. Bear with me. Let's stand real quick. To see what I mean by the need for supernatural fruit produced by the spirit, consider the case of Corrie Ten Boom as she confronted the Nazi SS officer responsible for the death of her sister at Ravensbrück Concentration Camp. It is one of the most moving stories to emerge from the darkest days of the 20th century and worth quoting at length. All right, you guys can have a seat. These are now Corrie's words. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out, and he said, a fine message, Fräulein, how good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly on forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. You mentioned Ravensbrook as your talk. He was saying, I was a guard there. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I'd like to hear it from your lips as well, Freulein. Freulein is German for woman or young woman. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the scars. Those who had nursed their bitterness and remained inval- had remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Forgiveness. It's birthed and inspired and completed through the power of Holy Spirit. May we do as Jesus commands, to believe in Him and to love our neighbor the way He loves us. Corey Ten Boom and this prison guard finally reconciled as brother and sister in Christ after years of torment. Let's stand, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much. Man, there is no one like you, and we praise you that you have forgiven us. And Father, you've made it so simple. What are your commands? Our commands are to believe in Jesus and to love one another the way you love us. And Father, I pray today for anyone here who's not put their faith in you, Jesus, that they would repent and do so today. And start that new life that you offer, that forgiveness, the adoption as son or daughter into your family, Heavenly Father. And Lord, for the rest of us, it's hard to love. We cannot do it without your Holy Spirit. So we ask now, Jesus, in the same way you empowered Corey Timbu to forgive, we ask that you would do that in us. And that we, by trusting in you, Holy Spirit, would step out in obedience. Loving you with everything that we have. Loving our neighbors the way you, Jesus, have loved us. So that when people see our love for one another, they would know that we are your disciples. And they would glorify your name, Father. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. As we worship and sing, a few of us will be down here if you want or need prayer. We would love to pray with you. Let's continue in worship.